Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So today is the final day of our worship series about theology, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we're closing out with one of the most difficult theological tensions in all of Christian history. Is it faith or works? Or to use the the large scholastic theological terms, orthodoxy versus orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is right belief, right faith. And orthopraxy is right action, right practice, right works. And over the years, not just Christians, but many within the family of the Abrahamic faiths, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, have wrestled with this. Is it about what we believe? Or is it about what we do? Or, to make things even more complicated and difficult, is it some combination of both? And this has been something that has torn Christians apart. That's why you can hear the passion with which James writes. Because he is very much convinced that we have to act and be in ways that is different than before we had faith. That our faith should certainly have a transformative effect on us and on others. However, his assertion is in tension in some ways with the Apostle Paul, who was a much more prolific writer, as some of you are aware. There are many more letters that are attributed to Paul and his way of thinking and his disciples than that of James. And yet they are both in our Bible. So how do we make sense of this? Well, you can credit the position of James almost at the end, heading into the book of Revelation, to one of the beloved saints of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther who gave us the phrase sola fide, faith alone. Martin Luther was an ordained Catholic priest, and he was serving in his native Germany. And there, as you may be aware, he wrestled with what the Catholic Church was saying and requiring, what their doctrine and their theology was. And he believed that it wasn't about what people did. They couldn't earn their salvation. There was no way for them to be able to convince God to give them grace. But that God had already done everything that God needed to do. God had come to us in Jesus of Nazareth. God had then given God's self on the cross to ensure that anyone that wanted love and grace, forgiveness, and a new opportunity could have these things. And so God has taken care of all of that for us. And we have just got to engage with that God and with that grace, choosing to embrace both for ourselves. Now, the difficulty is that there are people who think that their faith is just an inward thing. It's very private. It's very personal. And they don't really want to have to talk about it or express it in outward ways. And of course, there is a manifold witness to the ways in which we can express our faith, as we just heard. But one of the greatest things that we have to wrestle with is what is our faith doing to us? How does our 
right belief, our orthodoxy, live out in orthopraxy. Right belief should therefore bring about right practice, should it not? If we think correctly, then we are going to try to be correct people. We are going to try to be those that express that same love and grace that we ourselves have received. But you can't just do all the right things and think that it doesn't matter. Real belief is not about memorizing creeds. It is not about getting a theological degree. Real belief in Jesus Christ is about a relationship. And that is more powerful than any creed, affirmation of faith, any catechism, any book of discipline. Our relationship is where the power is. And I want all of us to take a moment and to think about a relationship that has truly changed us. Think about one person, you may be fortunate enough to have many in your life, but one person who has been in a relationship with you and loved you in such a way that it has changed how you think about yourself. It has changed how you feel. It has changed how you think. It has changed how you act, not just to the word that person, but how you talk about that person and act toward that person for the witness of others, to see that love manifested. That is the kind of relationship that God wants us to have with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God wants us to be in the kind of relationship with God's self that changes who we are, that allows us to be perfected by that love. It's not that God looks at us and says that you are not worthy of my love or that you are a horrible person, but that I love you so much, I want this love to perfect you, to show you, to allow you to emerge to be all that you were created to be. And that's the difference between a faith that is purely about saying the right words at the right time and a faith that is about becoming the right people for the right God. And so this tension has always been there. You see this expressed here. And in fact, James does a little bit of a creative spin on biblical exegesis. That's reading the Bible and trying to figure out what it's telling us. He witnesses to the fact that, yes, the scriptures do declare that Abraham was declared righteousness, declared to be right because of his faith by God. And then he says that this is what was declared after he offered up his son Isaac, or was going to offer up his son Isaac. But that's not exactly true. You see, the declaration that he was righteous because of his faith in God is made in Genesis chapter 15. It's not until chapter 22 that God asks Abraham to take his son Isaac for the purposes of sacrifice up on the mountain. It's, there's a bit of a chasm there. Things are happening. It is the belief in the start of the relationship that allows Abraham to have his works on full display. So therefore, while I appreciate the emphasis that James has, I believe that what we're being asked to think about here and now in 2021 is... How has our faith, our relationship with God, changed us to be different people? How has that relationship given us confidence, given us courage, given us conviction that things cannot stay as they are if people that we know and love are suffering and if people that God knows and loves are suffering? 
We are therefore challenged by our faith to do things differently, to do them in a way that Christ would do them, and to reflect that we have seen our Savior. We have seen him at work in our lives. We have felt him in our hearts. We have thought about him in our minds. And we have a relationship that can never be stripped away from us with our Lord and Savior. That is a different understanding of orthodoxy and orthopraxy than what has traditionally been understood. It means that you are empowered and that your relationship may not look the same as mine with God, and that's okay but that your expression and my expression are equally valued. They are equally valid. And so therefore, we almost have a responsibility to display and to allow others to experience the multiplicity of our relationships with God. And sometimes it's appropriate for us to say, well, that's not how I've experienced it, but I'm amazed to know that you have. It gives me greater knowledge. It gives me greater hope that all people can have a meaningful, purposeful relationship with God, even if it doesn't look and feel just like mine. And that is one of the most beautiful things about Christianity, is that there aren't all the same Christians all over the world and across time. Next week, when we celebrate what is almost 2,000 years of the Church of Christianity Universal, Look at how many different forms and functions it has taken. Look how many generations of Christians have come, offered their witness and their testimony, and have gone on to take rest so that another generation may rise and share their experience of God. It's an amazing thing to think that how you know God can make the difference for another person. This is what Jesus talks about when he talks about in the parable of the seeds being sown. Some seeds are planted very deep within the earth and their roots grow and they are nourished from the depths of the wells of water and they grow very high in the sun and they are fruitful and beautiful. But others don't have the depth and what ends up happening is that they spring up but then they're scorched by the sun because they can't draw from the water underground. And so they will turn into chaff. And others still will fall on rocky ground and will never germinate. They will never be what they were meant to be. What makes the difference? Where we choose to be sown and how we choose to be sown. Do we want to be surface Christians? Christians that are okay with letting people know in some circumstances that we do believe in Jesus Christ or that sometimes when it's socially acceptable, perhaps on Christmas and an Easter, we'll offer some kind of worship to God? Or do we want to be the kind of Christians that see that our relationship has the most great purpose in all of humankind? That our relationship is meant to help others get their relationship, the one that God came and died to give for us. It's a difference in purpose and in understanding. It means that we internalize that our relationship isn't just something that gives us warm and fuzzy feelings. It's something that changes possibilities for us, for those that we know and love, and for those that God knows and loves. Every single person. It's to reorient ourselves so that what is making us redeemed people, rejuvenated, restored people, is what we choose to give to the world. 
in our relationships with them and our acts of kindness and mercy, the embodiment of compassion and love. It is about us choosing to move beyond ourselves, truly becoming part of the body of Christ, a body that is so large and so vast that no denomination can claim it, no time can end it or begin it, There is no way to encapsulate how truly, insanely, beautifully large the body of Christ is. It spans the globe. It spans time and space. And it means that all people of every culture, every race, every nation are invited to take their rightful place here. That's the power of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we know how relationship can be powerful. When I asked you to think about the one whose love changed you, can you feel how your body even changes just thinking about that person? You have loved them, they have loved you. And they have given you a gift. And that gift, it not only motivates you and inspires you, but it changes who you are. And I believe what James was trying to get to in his book was that our faith is so powerful and profound that it transforms us so that we can't go back talking and acting the way that we did before. We have to show how much we've been changed. We can no longer be the people that we were before. And the world doesn't need us to be the people we were before we had a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's plenty of that in the world. We need to be a people that can show the kind of love that abides even when we no longer can find a reason to love ourselves. The kind of love that doesn't just hold us accountable for our sin, but helps us overcome it. The kind of love that allows us to receive the forgiveness when we repent and empowers us to take the courageous step to forgive others when they ask for forgiveness. And you know that's not an easy thing to do. But it is the godly thing to do. It is the Christian thing to do. It is what our faith requires of us because we have been forgiven. And so our faith should have form. It should allow us who believe that Jesus Christ is our everything, our God and our King, our Savior, our Messiah, to change things for others so that they too can experience this incredible gift of love. So our faith cannot be something that we squander, or as Jesus said, hide under a bushel. But instead, it has to be something that is enlivened in us. And while my faith will look and feel and sound one way, yours will look and feel and sound in your way. And that is truly a beautiful thing. One of the things that we learn as Christians is, that no one has all the right answers except God. None of us have all the right answers. But what we do learn is that all of us have the same opportunity to grant grace and love. Every one of us. And there was a time, even in the Bible, when they thought that being older meant that you had all the experience and the answers. And I'm hoping that when I get to the point where I'm 100, that that's true. But I can tell you that my experience, and perhaps yours as well, is that age is not a defining characteristic of a powerful relationship with God. 
There are times where I've been in this exact same space with dozens of preschoolers. So they have to be somewhere between the ages of two and five. And one of them will say something so profound. It was like the mouth of God just opened in this space. And the kind of wisdom that they speak is not something that you can receive in a doctorate program for a ministry degree. The kind of truth and wisdom that they speak is because they, even at their age, are in a relationship with God. And they love God and they know God. I have seen more powerful, transformative words and actions come out of teenagers than anyone would ever expect. I have seen them speak truth and love. I have seen them make change for the good of others selflessly. So it's not always about what the world says. The world kind of expects us to grow to a certain point and then cuts us loose and says, you are what you are. But God says every day is a day of transformation when you are with me, for I am with you. I will never abandon you. I will never forsake you. Before you were born, I knew you and loved you and claimed you for myself. And at some point in your life, you chose to claim God. And because of that, because of that moment, that union of our spirit and God's, we have never been the same. And we live in a world that needs to know that the pain and the suffering and the prejudice and the discrimination and the brokenness and the violence and the warfare don't have to be the same. So when our faith takes the form of words that express our belief that all people are beloved and of sacred worth to God, all people are given the opportunity to embrace the grace of the Christ across in accordance with John 3:16 for God so loved the world. When we become a people who use our time and our talents, our gifts and our graces to be a tangible sign of God's providence and care for other people in missions and ministries of the church, then we too are giving our faith form. And people will ask, why are you doing this? Why would you help me? And the answer has always been, well, God told me to do it. But have you ever reached the point in your faith where you thought, I'm going to love this person because that's what Jesus requires and no, I've got to do what Jesus says. But then you get to the point where you don't love that person because it's required. You love that person because you have entered into a relationship with them in the name of Jesus Christ. And you find yourself sometimes, in spite of yourself, loving them honestly and truly being invested in them and caring about their future. That is the difference of a faith that is maturing and a faith that is still growing and finding its roots. When you reach the point where you don't love because it's expected, you love because it is now who you are. But that is who we serve, a God that is love in its purest, most glorious self. And you cannot be a child of a God that is love and withhold love from others. You cannot be a believer and a disciple of the one who is the savior of the world and not be willing to help others. We are people who are always growing, always maturing, always looking for ways that God's love can help us 
do more. Be more for the glory of God and for the opportunity to see, to show sometimes just ourselves that our faith has not been in vain. All of this belief and this work and these struggles and these trials and tribulations because being a disciple is not easy. All of this, is it in vain? Or are we simply just hoping that one day when Jesus comes back, it'll all make sense? I don't believe that that is how God works. I believe that when we are truly as committed to God as God is committed to us, that God lets us experience the glory of heaven now. Not all the time, but you get glimpses of it. You can taste it. You can touch it. You can experience it. You can hear it. You can see it. And you can bask in it. And in those moments, that's when you know in a place that is more profound than our minds and even deeper than our hearts, in the very depths of our being to where the soul is grafted to us, that is where we discover that yes, our faith in God is true, transforming, and a blessing beyond word and measure. That's what Jesus is asking us to give to others. A taste of that so that they will come to the table and say, Master, give me the bread of heaven. Master, let me drink from the well of the spring of life so that I will never thirst again. Give me a taste of your grace so that I will be transformed and that my sin will stop so that you can flourish in me. And that's the difference. And I hope for all of us that the next time somebody says, well, what is it you believe? That instead of parroting off the Apostles' Creed, which is a great creed, or giving whatever rubric we've learned in confirmation, or God forbid you've read some of the scholastic books I had to read in seminary, instead of parroting somebody else, I hope you'll realize that the question that is being asked is, tell me about the God that you're in relationship with. Tell me about that relationship. Because people don't have to come to us to ask us what United Methodists believe. People don't have to come to us to ask what Christians believe. You can Google that. When someone's asking you, they're asking for you. They're asking for your relationship, your insight, your experience, the wisdom that you alone have because you are in relationship with God. And when you choose to answer them with your authentic self, your authentic experience, you will be giving them the greatest gospel that you can ever utter. And that is when our belief takes form. And the person that hears it and experiences it, you have begun a relationship with them that God can bring to a place that you can never fathom, but you will never regret. May it be so. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.